Our Father in heaven, again, it is so good to be gathered together with your people this morning, singing the gospel. I think especially of that song that we just sang, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I love that song. And it's so wonderful to be able to sing it together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and thinking about what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians that Ray read uh, a moment ago where Paul said, I worked harder than them all, yet it was not I, but the grace of God. Lord, we are all defined by Your grace that You have poured out upon us in Christ. Oh, we praise You for Him. We thank You for Him. And I pray that You would... Once again, quiet our minds and our hearts and You would prepare us to look deep into Your Word, into the riches that are here. Lord, without Your help, it will just be words on a page. So may You fill us with Your Holy Spirit and enable us to see, to receive joy from Your Word, to receive the the treasure that is here. Lord, Your Word is delightful. May we, see it, may we see it that way this morning. And I pray that you would be with me as I seek to communicate it to your people, and I pray that you would be with them as they listen. Be with us as we look at this final chapter in Jonah. Look at the final passage. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're, we're now at the end of the book. And this is going to be the final sermon. So before we walk through these verses together, I want to just briefly do a recap of what we've seen so far. That way it's fresh on our minds. And for those of you who are visiting, you'll have the gist of the previous chapters in your mind as we look at the final passage. So in chapter 1, Jonah, who is a prophet, we were introduced to him, was called by God to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. He was called to preach against the Ninevites because of why? Because their evil had risen before him. Had risen before God. And Jonah, he heard this command from God, and instead of going to Nineveh, he ran from the presence of God. He went, he got on a boat, which was located in Joppa, and he tried to head to this place called Tarshish, which was pretty much in the opposite direction of where he was called to be going to Nineveh. So he got on that boat, starting to sail to Tarshish, and then the Lord, being gracious and merciful, He didn't leave him in his disobedience, He didn't leave him in his sin, He pursued him with a storm. He sent this great storm, They began to. the sailors on the boat began to cry out for help, they eventually went down into the ship where Jonah was sleeping. They got him, they brought him up, began to question him. Jonah ended up being thrown into the sea. And then God, a, He appointed a fish to come and to swallow Jonah, to save him from the otherwise watery grave that he would have seen. Then we came to chapter 2, where Jonah prayed to the Lord expressing his thanksgiving because he had not because God had not allowed him to drown but instead showed him mercy and saved him from his distress. Jonah prayed this prayer and then at the end of chapter 2 we saw that God heard his prayer 
And then he caused the fish to vomit Jonah back on the dry land. In chapter 3, we saw that God once again came to Jonah. He recommissioned him to go to Nineveh. Jonah obeys this time. He goes to Nineveh. He goes into the city. He preaches his short sermon. And as we said, against all odds, against all expectations, the Ninevites believe his sermon. You know, the the message that God had given to him. And there was a city-wide revival, you could say. They turned from their evil way. They called out to the Lord. And then the Lord did what? He relented from the disaster that He said He was going to bring upon them. Then came the beginning of chapter 4, which is what we were looking at last week, when everything seemed to, to come to a head and Jonah became hot with anger. He was not happy that Nineveh repented and that God showed mercy on the city. And we saw that this was because of multiple reasons. We pointed out three of them. One was that Jonah struggles with self-righteousness badly. You know, he feels as if he is superior to the Ninevites and that they do not deserve God's mercy because of their evil and because of the threat that they were to his own country. So he's struggling with self-righteousness. Also, Jonah worships and finds his identity in his country or his people rather than God. So he was worshiping his country. He was finding his identity in his ethnicity, in his people group, in his country, rather than in God himself. Well, the Ninevites were a threat to the God that he was worshiping. And then also we saw that Jonah was worshiping a false image of God. He had turned God into a small G God who fueled and supported his idol, the idol of his country. You know, as long as God prospered Israel, showed mercy on them and not their enemies, Jonah was happy. But when God did something that Jonah didn't expect, when he went against his idol that he was worshiping unknowingly, he became very angry. He became mad at God. And we saw that that prayer that he prayed, throwing God's very character back in his face. That precious promise. We saw there in, in Exodus 34, God making known His very character, his, his glory to Moses there. Jonah took that and he said, I knew that this is who you were. I knew that if I came to Nineveh and I preached the message to these people, there was a possibility you would have mercy on them, and you have. And I'm very displeased with it. What you have done in my sight is evil. We saw that he thought that it was evil. But again, God, in His love and mercy, He didn't leave Jonah in his sin, but He pursued him with a question. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? God pursued him with a question, making him stop and actually think about what he's doing. Think about what he's saying, how he feels about these people, trying to expose his sin. But we left off last week in that sermon seeing that Jonah doesn't respond to the question. 
He just kind of ignores it. He's like, you know what? I don't want to hear a question from you, God, right now. You know, leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. He doesn't respond to God's question. He's still very angry. Jonah still desperately needs to see his own sin. So how does God plan on dealing with this prophet's sin? Is is Jonah going to see his sin? Is he going to repent? Will he be restored to a right understanding of God and a right view of other people and a right view of his own sinful self, having his self-righteousness crushed before him? Well, we're about to see. So if you would look down with me at verse 5 in chapter 4, and we're going to read down all the way to the end of the chapter. And if you would like to read in the translation that I'm reading from, please you can just take the pew Bible that's located in front of you, which is the ESV. In verse 5, Jonah went out of the city, so this is after the Lord has asked his question, or confronted Jonah with his question. Jonah ignores it. And we read this in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now, similar to last week, there are three essential things that are going on in these these verses that we're looking at, verses 5 to 11. In verse 5, we're going to basically see Jonah's pity party that he throws for himself. That's a good way to put it, because he is definitely throwing a pity party as we're going to see when he goes out of the city and he builds his little booth and all that. So in verse 5, we're going to see Jonah's pity party. Then in verses 6 to 8, we're going to see the providential work of God. The providential work of God. Of God. And then in verses 9 to 11, we'll see God's final question that he confronts Jonah with, and then the book ends. So that's how we're going to handle these verses in those, those three ways. Those are the three main things that are going on. So, verse 5, let's look at Jonah's pity party. So, when we come to verse 5, Like I said a moment ago, God has just confronted Jonah with his question, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? You know, think about what you're doing. Think about what you just said. Think about how angry you are. Do you do well to be angry? Is your anger justified? Is it good? 
You remember we said anger in itself is not a bad thing, but Jonah's anger is because of how it's defined, what his anger looks like, what it's against. You know, anger is a natural thing to to rise up within you when something that you love is attacked or something like that. But his anger is obviously not justified. And so God confronted him with his question. And Jonah ignores it. And then we read, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat underneath it, sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So after seeing God's mercy on Nineveh and then praying his angry prayer to God, he, he leaves the city. You know, you could probably picture Jonah. He's in the city. He just saw God's mercy fall upon these people. And so he's just ready to leave. He is tired of hearing these people cry out to God. You know, this was a man that was ready to see God bring down fire and brimstone, kind of like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he was hoping for. And so he just storms out of the city. He's tired of hearing these people, these Ninevites, cry out to God and God showing His mercy on them. So he goes out of the city, but he doesn't go far. He, he goes and he sits somewhere to the east of the city, the author told, tells us. He goes to the east of the city, probably just sitting you know, far enough to where maybe he can't hear them very well in their repentance you know, as they're uh, maybe giving thanksgiving to God because he hasn't brought his wrath down on them. But he's still there where he can see the city, you know, where he can still see what's going on. He's still in sight distance of the city. And while he's out there, he builds himself a little booth, uh, kind of like a little lean-to cover, and he sits underneath it so he can have some shade while he's there. Now, why is Jonah doing this? Why is he going out there to sit and watch the city? You know, what is he expecting to see? I mean, God has already said that he's going to relent of the disaster that he was going to bring. These people have repented. They've turned from their evil way. God's not going to bring disaster. So what is Jonah hoping he's going to see? Well, Jonah is hoping that somehow, for some reason, God is going to go back on his promise to relent of the disaster. You know, maybe he's thinking, the repentance... It's not going to last very long. You know, they'll, they'll repent for a little while and then they'll see that God's not, He's not bringing the disaster and they'll go back to what they were doing and then God will be like, what are you doing? Bam! It bring judgment. Maybe He's thinking that. Or maybe He's just thinking to Himself, if I go out and sit out here and just show God how displeased I am with this situation... You know, if I continue to just throw this pity party, how I'm unhappy, God will see and He'll do what I want Him to do. I mean, we're often like that, right? And, you know, if you have kids, kids do this as well. You can, we can be told no, maybe we have expectations of something, maybe we made plans. But anyway, something is supposed to happen in a way that we want it to happen. And then it doesn't. Maybe we get told no. Or the opposite happens. And instead of just accepting it, we get mad 
we pout, and we have this small part within us that's hoping, you know, maybe we might just get what we want after all. You know, that, that's, just, that's in there. And you can see that in your kids whenever you may tell them no. You may tell them no five times and they're going to walk off and there's going to be a part of them that's just hoping you're going to change their mind. This is what Jonah's doing. You know, he may be thinking that. He may just be hoping that the repentance doesn't last long. But either way, we can be sure that Jonah is just throwing this big old pity party for himself right now as he sits outside the city. So Jonah, he's, he's sitting outside the city. You know, he's, he's throwing this, this pity party for himself. You know, God, feel sorry for me, feel sorry for me. Do what I want you to do. Please bring judgment on these people. And at this point, we're just thinking, you know, man, when is this prophet ever going to learn, right? I mean, we're almost at the end of the book, and this guy is still just as stubborn, just as self-righteous as ever. Here again, we would expect God to just pour out His judgment on Jonah and not the Ninevites. Because Jonah's the guy who's supposed to know better, right? He's supposed to be the man of God. He's the one who knows God, knows His Word, knows God's character, what He's like. We would expect God's judgment to again fall on him as he's sitting out here underneath this booth. Maybe God's just like, you are one sorry individual. I'm going to pour my wrath out on you. Because you're the one who deserves it more than they do. Because as we've been seeing throughout this book, the pagans are the ones that act more honorable than Jonah does. You know, we would expect Jonah to be the honorable one, but it's the other way around. The sailors acted more honorable than Jonah did. You know, they were concerned about people perishing and God's judgment when Jonah wasn't. The Ninevites were concerned about perishing and God's judgment. Jonah wasn't. Jonah was just concerned about himself, his own self-righteousness, his own little idols that he was unknowingly worshiping. So we would expect God to once again pour out His judgment on this man. But He doesn't. And that is the most incredible part of this book. Again and again, this is what the spotlight is put on. The fact that God over and over and over and over again shows mercy and grace and steadfast love on stubborn Jonah. Yes, it was amazing to see God save those pagan sailors in chapter 1. Yes, it was amazing to see the Ninevites turn from their evil ways in chapter 3. But the most incredible part has been to see God again and again show mercy on this prophet who should have known better. God throughout this book has been patiently correcting this prophet and it's put on display once more here as well. Let's look at verses 6 to 8. God's providential work or the providential work of the Lord. In these verses... As I just mentioned, we again see God patiently and lovingly correcting this prophet, you know, trying to expose his sin. In verse 6, we read this Now the Lord God appointed a plant 
and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. You know, there are many strange passages in the Bible, and this is one of them. This is one of those strange passages that we find in the Bible. I want you just to try and and picture this scene in your mind. So Jonah is miserable, right? He's miserable because of what's just happened in Nineveh. You know, he did not want the Ninevites to receive mercy, and God did show them mercy. So he's miserable because of that, what God has done to them. But then, as he goes outside of the city to just, I guess you could say, add insult to injury, it's hot, you know? It's just miserable. I don't know what the climate would have been like for uh, that area outside in that in the, the region of Nineveh as he was sitting outside the city, but we're told that it is just hot. And Jonah's sitting there, he's, he's miserable, he, he builds this little makeshift lean-to because he's trying to get some shade as he sits there hoping that God will pour out wrath on these people. So just picture this in your mind. Here Jonah is. He's miserable. He's probably, you know, just kind of huddled up underneath this little rinkety shack or booth that he just built. He's boiling hot in anger, plus the, the heat of the sun beating down on him, throwing his pity party. And then all of a sudden, here pops up this plant. Starts growing up over him, as we're told in verse 6, that the Lord appointed to grow up over him. You remember that word, appointed? When was the last time that we saw that word? It was when God appointed the fish, right, to swallow Jonah. If you're reading the ESV anyways, you see appointed. If it's the NIV, I think it may be provided or something like that. But this is just showing that the Lord is the one doing this. Does Jonah know that? Uh, maybe, but God is the one doing this. And the word appointed, it's used two more times in these verses. Not only does God appoint the plant, but He appoints the worm that attacks the plant. And then He also appoints the scorching east wind. So here Jonah is. The The plant grows up over him, provides a nice bit of shade. We're told that he's exceedingly glad about this plant, you know, in a way he almost becomes attached to it. I guess in, you know, these types of situations, it's the small things that just make life really good. So he's exceedingly glad that this plant has grown up over him and provided him some shade. Well, a little bit of time goes by, and all of a sudden here comes this worm that attacks Jonah's plant probably chews through it, and it dies, and it withers. Well, there goes Jonah's shade. Well, the the bad experience is not over with his plant dying, because after that, God points the, the scorching east wind to come. And so, from what some scholars say, this wind would have been a brutal wind, bringing excessive, maybe excessive heat wave with it. Maybe some sand would have been coming with it. So not only is Jonah sitting in this little booth, 
with no shade, but now he's being pelted with sand. And so after that, he just he gets so angry, he gets so hot that he just cries out to the Lord like he did previously, and he says, I, I'm, I'm ready to die. Please kill me now. You know, I'm, I'm just sick and tired of this. Please take my life from me. Now, what are we supposed to think about these strange events that are happening here? I mean, what is the point? Is this just God getting payback on Jonah? Hey, Jonah, you want to make fun of my steadfast love again? You want to throw it in my face again? Bam! Take that. I'll give you a plant, then I'm going to take it away from you. And then I'm going to make you hot. You know, I'm going to make this wind come upon you. I'm going to make the sun beat down on your head. Maybe he was bald. I don't know. But is this God just getting payback on this man? No. No, that's not what God is doing. God is, is not just trying to get some payback on, on Jonah. Now, I want you to, I want us to think for a moment before we, before we move on to, to God's final question that He's going to confront Jonah with after He's done these strange events. I want us to think about what's just happened. Because did you notice what God has just done in the midst of all these strange events? Like I said, He's not just being angry. He's not just getting revenge on Jonah. No, God in His providence put Jonah in a position where he finally shows compassion on something. He shows compassion on the plant. God put Jonah in a position where he finally cared about something perishing. Jonah has all been out of shape because he just lost his plant. Because God's about to ask him, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he's going to say, yeah, I do. So let's just think back for a moment at these events. So God appoints the plant to grow up over Jonah. And look there what it says after God appoints this plant it grows up over him. It says that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. That word also can mean evil, to save Jonah from his evil. The author uses that word purposefully. It's kind of like a play on words because what did God just do to the Ninevites? He just saved them from their evil, didn't He? You know, He relented of the judgment that He was going to bring. He saved them from their, their evil way. He caused them to repent and, and to turn away from their, their disobedience and things like that. So he saved them from their evil. And Jonah was what? Exceedingly angry or exceedingly displeased. And he thought what the Lord did was evil. But here we see that Jonah sees the plant and then it says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Again, you have the comparison going on. Jonah is exceedingly mad that they just received mercy. But again, similar to his prayer in chapter 2, he is all about some mercy when it's being shown on him. But then God appoints a worm. It attacks it. It withers. And then God causes the, the sun to rise. Brings the, the wind 
Son beats down on his head so that he's faint. And then he asks that he might die and said that it's better for me to, to die than to live. So God is setting Jonah up for the question that he's about to ask. Can you see that now? You see the comparison going on? He has just shown mercy on Jonah. He's taken it away. And this is setting him up for whenever he's going to get mad. He's again get mad at God and God's going to ask his question. And then when God asks his question, it's going to just fall down like a hammer. And Jonah's not going to have anything to say. So this is the, the providence of God on display. I use that word providence. Uh, I know some of you have heard that word before, probably familiar with what it means. It's very close to the sovereignty of God, you know, a theme that we've been seeing throughout this book. But I use the providence of God because when we talk about God's providence, it refers more to God guiding things for a purpose, right? Yes, God is sovereign over all things, but He's not just sovereign like here as He appoints the plant or He brings the wind. He's not just showing His sovereignty just to show it. You know, He's doing this for a reason, for a specific purpose. And so that's where God's providence comes in. He's doing all of this for a purpose which is setting Jonah up for the question that he's about to be confronted with. And it's very, it's the same for our lives as well. I mean, yeah, we're not exactly the same as Jonah, you know, as far as this particular situation, but God's providence is at work in your life just as much as it's, work, it's at work here in Jonah's life. God is sovereign over your life, every part of it, and He is always working His providence through it. You know, Matt, you were talking about God's providence in your, in your update that you were giving us uh, in the Sunday school hour. When Matt was giving his, his ministry update, he was talking about how we can often look behind us and see how certain events have caused certain conclusions and things like that. And you can just obviously tell, hey, God did that. You know, you can look back in your life and you can see, God did that. You know, He had a purpose for that. In the good situations and even in the bad. I remember whenever I was growing up, so for those of you who know me, when I was about nine years old, uh, my dad died when I was about nine. And for the longest time, I did not understand why that happened. I mean, yeah, I knew that he was sick. I knew that, you know, he had cancer and that was why he died. But why would God cause that to happen? And we say that about other things as well. You know, why would God allow this horrible thing to happen and, you know, this person's life is harder and things like that? Well, at the time I didn't understand, but I can genuinely stand before you today and say that if God wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. And you probably feel similar to some of the hard events that have happened in your life. God has brought something, or He had brought something into your life. It was very hard. You didn't understand it. Maybe you got mad. But over time, you were able to look back and you could see how God had weaved it all together. Jonah's about to look back. I mean, we're not going to... We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But Jonah's going to look back and he's going to see that what God was doing. It's one of the reasons why the book's written the way that it's written. 
why you can see the compare and contrast there. God's providence is put on display as He is setting Jonah up to expose his sin. So I just want you to be mindful and to be asking yourself, you know, what is God doing in your life? You know, how is His providence currently working in your life? Maybe is He trying to expose some of your sin? Or has He just blessed you in some incredible way? And if you look back, you could see that. God's sovereignty and His providence are always at work. So now let's, let's look at the, the final question that God confronts Jonah with. So Jonah cries out to God and he again he says, just, just let me die. Please take my life. I'm tired of this. You know, it's hot. You just show mercy on the Ninevites. Take my life. But God said to Jonah, verse 9, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah responds this time. You know, the first time God asked the question, he didn't respond. Jonah responds to God's question and he says, Yes! In fact, I do do well to be angry, God. My anger is very much, in fact, justified. Thank you very much for asking. I do well to be angry. Now again, just, just picture this in your mind, this going on here. This is, I mean, Jonah is actually saying this to God. Now I don't know if this is a verbal conversation going back and forth or if it's a vision or a dream or whatever it is, but this is a literal conversation going back and forth between this prophet and the Lord. And then this is how God responds to Jonah's anger once more. And just see if you can tell how God just puts the nail in the coffin at this moment. So he responds and he says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And then the book ends, and that's it. So the Lord confronts Jonah with his question, and then the book ends. Why? You know, what is the purpose of why the book ends this way, or what God is doing with His question there. Well, there's a couple reasons. First, there's nothing else that the Lord needs to say. He's just exposed Jonah's sin. The sin that we've been seeing throughout the entire book, Jonah now sees for himself. He sees his sin, and there's nothing else to say. God has brought him to a place where he's finally had compassion on something or being concerned about this plant perishing and then God takes it away, He gets angry and then He confronts Jonah and He says, you show compassion on this plant, you know, which is very insignificant. It's a plant. You know, it came in a night and it perished in a night. 
So should not I show compassion or pity, as the ESV says, that great city which is filled with more than 120,000 persons, whether that means children or everybody in the city, we don't know. But it's a great city filled with many people. And God is saying, so shouldn't I show compassion on that great city? You know, something that's actually significant? Shouldn't I show my compassion on that city, Jonah? These people who are ignorant, they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know good from evil. They're in need of my mercy, of my grace. Should not I show compassion on them, Jonah? And honestly, should not you be joining me in it? <clears throat> Jonah has nothing to say. He, he sees his sin. It is in front of him. It's like one of those situations where maybe you did something wrong, you don't want to admit it, and then somebody confronts you about it, and they say something to you that just gives you no way out. You know, there's nothing to say. There's no excuse to give. You're, you're just there. The spotlight's on you, and all you can say is, yeah, I, I did that. You're, you're just stuck there. You know, your sin has been exposed. Your wrongdoing has been exposed. Your transgression has been exposed to get this person or whatever. Well, this is where Jonah's at. God has put him in a position where, what's he going to say? It is very plain that his sin is now exposed. So that's one reason why the book ends the way that it does. There's nothing else to say. And then the book also ends this way because the question that is put before Jonah is also meant to be put before us. Because we are all in a way like Jonah. So will we learn the lesson of Jonah? You know, we, we all struggle with self-righteousness. We all tend to think that we are superior to other people for different reasons. Maybe it's like Jonah because our country is greater than another country or our race, we think anyways, is greater than another race or we have something that other people don't. We have more money than we do. We have more possessions than we do. Whatever it may be, we have self-righteousness within us and we think we're superior. And then we kind of pick and choose who we show mercy to, who we love, who we show compassion on, and things like that. So will we learn the lesson of Jonah? Will we see our own self-righteousness, our own tendencies to act superior? Will we repent of our sin and love people the way that God does? Timothy Keller in his book, he puts it this way. It's almost like God draws his bow, shoots his arrow of conviction, at Jonah, and then Jonah disappears and then the arrow pierces our heart. The author has written the book this way so that we can write our own conclusion. So what will yours look like? Basically is what the author is saying here. What will yours look like? Will you learn what Jonah had to learn? Now, the only way that we're truly going to learn 
this lesson, or we're on, the only way we're going to truly see our self-righteousness, similar to Jonah, is if God provides a way, right? Because we, we're, we're helpless in our own sin. You know, we're blind to it in and of ourselves. So unless God provides a way or confronts us in our sin like He did with Jonah, we're not going to see, we're not going to learn. There will be no transformation. There will be no new life. But even here, as Jonah's failure is being put on display, you know, his failure to show compassion on the Ninevites, even in the midst of his failure, that way is being put on display, which is the way of Christ, uh, the gospel, what He has done for us. is being put on display even here. I want you to look at that word pity. Again, the ESV, that's, what the, that's, the word, that's how they translate it, pity. That word is used there to point us to the compassion of God for sinners. Yes, it means pity. Yes, it means compassion. But it also has the, the meaning attachment. You get attached to something. So like Jonah, he got attached to the plant in a way. You know, he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He became attached to it in a way, and so he showed compassion on it. And he pitied it when it perished. And so God there says, you pity a plant or show compassion on a plant or become attached to a plant, but I show compassion on people. And so when you bring in that sense of attachment there, God is saying, I attach myself to people. Now, that does not mean that God needs you. God is not in need, right? He has no needs. So, what would God be saying here as He says, you know, I, bring, I put my attachment or I attach myself in a mysterious way to people? Well, the only way that a God who has no needs and has joy within himself, can do this, is if he voluntarily does it. He voluntarily attaches himself to people, to sinners, like he does here with the Ninevites. What God is showing here is that he weeps over our sin, our disobedience. You think back in... In the book of Genesis, whenever God brings a flood, when all of that sin's going on, you know, He weeps over the sin and the disobedience that was there. You know, the earth was filled with it, and it grieved God. And He said that He regretted that He that He had created man. Uh, that's just you know God putting emotion on display that we can understand that. And so it's happening here as well. God is showing that He genuinely weeps over sin and He's genuinely glad and rejoices like we saw last week when we repent and we return to God. We looked at that parable in, in Luke. I can't remember what chapter it was, but the parable of the, the prodigal son, the parable of the, the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost coin. And each one of those parables, God rejoicing as a sinner comes back. Him attaching Himself to us in a way and being glad. And we ultimately see this compassion climax in Christ, in the gospel, where God comes down in the form of a man 
And He, in a way, attaches Himself to us, shows compassion, weeps with us, rejoices with us, and then finally dies for us so that we can be brought back into His family. Just listen to the greater Jonah be put on display here, which Jonah, even in his failure, is pointing us to. Matthew 9, verse 36. Listen to to the compassion of God be put on display in Christ. When He, Jesus, saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When He went ashore, He saw a a great crowd and He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called His disciples to Him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with Me now three days and have nothing to eat. And then Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They are like a people who do not know their left hands from their right hands. Show compassion on them. The compassion that Jonah should have displayed to the Ninevites is ultimately put on display in Christ. You know, we talked about in the beginning of the series that Jonah is, or excuse me, yeah, that Jonah is, that Jesus is the greater Jonah. That Jonah's failures point us to the prophet that we are in desperate need of. The one who is willing to leave his country, go to a people that are not like him, and with joy proclaim the gospel of God, the good news of God. And that's what Christ does. He puts on God's he puts on display God's compassion. Now the the conclusion of the book, the last thing that I want to deal with, and then I'll I'll close, I'll be done. So does Jonah ever learn his lesson? You know, does he actually repent? You know, he's, the question comes before him. We don't see his response. But so does he repent? You know, does he actually turn from his evil way? You know, his self-righteousness. I think that he does. And most scholars and commentators agree because, well we have the book of Jonah. (laughs) I mean, who else can tell this story? So it's very likely that Jonah, on his 550-mile trek back to Israel, had this question mulling over in his mind, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And since you you show compassion on a plant, shouldn't I show compassion on these people? And it strikes Jonah to the very heart, the very core of his being, And he finally sees what God is trying to show him and he repents. And then he goes back, he tells the story, and then he writes this book. And so who would write a book where over and over again it just shows how pathetic he is? Not a man who's still prideful and struggles with self-righteousness. It's a man who's been convicted of his sin and been transformed by the compassion of God that's been shown to him. And then he now shows on other people. And so he writes this book so that we can come to the end of it and see the lesson that he learned and ask the question, will we learn it as well? And that's how the book ends. 
So Alt's Chapel, as we, like Jonah, are called to arise and to go to the community that we've been planted in and maybe to go elsewhere, will we, with joy and with the compassion of God, love people who are not like us, care for people who are not like us, desire that God would penetrate their hearts with the gospel, people who are not like us, people that we may not like, our very enemies? Or will we be like Jonah, hard-hearted, self-righteous, and flee? Let us not be like that Jonah. Let us be like the Jonah who learned his lesson and wrote this book so that we could read it and see his story. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, may you convict us in the same way that you convicted Jonah of his sin long ago. Lord, we are just as self-righteous as Jonah was in a different way, yes. But we struggle with superiority. We struggle with self-righteousness. We struggle with many sins and an innumerable amount of sin. But you see them all and we ask that you would expose them that you would give us repentance, that you would help us to cry out to you to turn from our sin and continually embrace the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.